update at noon, midday to 1 p.m. Absolutely, uh, Sakina. I think, you know, with even the stats from uh, World Health Organization and also with us as Sanka, what we've noticed is that one out of nine, actually, people are using substances in our country. And this is an ongoing um, challenge that we are currently facing as South Africans, because I think we need to also be reminded that alcohol or substance use disorder has always been a long, long time uh, problem in our country that people have been experiencing. So it's not something new. You know, it's not something that only started now. It's by no means new, but how has it evolved over time? Mm. I think over the time, over the years, uh, looking at the history of our country in in, in terms of, um, you know, where people have come from since the era of 1994, that's when we started to see substances actually increase a lot in terms of, uh, in terms of alcohol, um, jaha, as well as cocaine, it started to increase uh, post-1994. And uh, till this day, up until we've got your nyaube, for example, or your wunga, or any kind of concoction, you know, uh, purple haze, for example, as young kids actually speak or talk about it, that's when actually the increase has started. There are multiple reasons, Sakina, of why people use drugs. And we always say, yes, unemployment is, is something currently that is a problem. It is a contributing factor. So we are not saying because people are unemployed, therefore they will use alcohol or drugs, because we've seen as Sanka throughout the duration of us working in this field that there are people who are unemployed but do not use substances. So it depends on actually the environment where people are actually uh, based at. We're looking at the family uh, history of people. Uh, a person who actually suffer or struggles with substance use disorder. And also there are other medical conditions that actually can lead someone uh, to have substance use disorder. Hence, we are seeing such a huge influx and increase. COVID is also another angle that we've seen, an increase, specifically on Dachau. So, Temegile, if we could perhaps uh, just uh, first look at the medical reasons um, uh, behind this before we speak to the socioeconomic conditions. Yes, I think with the medical history, what we often do, our intake officers, we, we're looking at that substances actually affect the functioning of our brain, how one's actually process things, uh, how one's behavior will actually respond, and also looking at that day-to-day responses. So we've seen that other people that might be traumatized, as an example, due to a specific uh, event that might have happened in their life, that could be a contributing factor, or there's a family history of any kind of abuse, from sexual to physical abuse, uh, emotional abuse, and so forth. So we also have to look at the underlying issues, what led a person to actually start developing, you know, the high increase of using substances. So medically, we can be looking at some of those kinds of symptoms. And of course, it's it's difficult to intervene when you don't understand, when you don't even know where all of this comes from. So interesting, you know, the sort of factors that you outline, uh, trauma, uh, for example, because very often uh, there would be an onset that uh, sometimes families just cannot relate to. Absolutely. And I think also with the history of our country, especially in the African communities, we realize that people, whenever you say you've got a substance use disorder problem or somebody um, actually stressed or depressed, you know,
know, it's always been related also to you are being bewitched. And that's also another stigma that we are also fighting against till this day, that there are a lot of stigmas around substance use disorder if someone actually has a problem. So it's not just about the trauma. It can be also stress levels that actually started for this person to end up because they were looking for an escape. They were looking for something that can numb the pain. They were looking for something that can help them cope with whatever life circumstance they're actually currently going through. So it could be, yes, that, you know, the divorce, for example, of the young kids, it could be somebody who just lost a job or somebody that is actually going through grief. So there is multiple reasons that could lead one to end up using all these substances to numb the pain. And that's where a lot of people sometimes get confused to your point to say, people don't understand. Why are you doing what you are doing? But when they come through to us, we also need to look at what we call the different stages of change. Sometimes people will say, Tembi, you know what? We've tried so many times to go to rehab. We've tried speaking to this loved one. But what we don't understand is that we need to first assess this person, where are they currently at, and meet that particular patient or client where they are at. What kind of stage of change are they at? Do they even identify that whatever is happening in their life right now is a risk, or they don't? Or they're still contemplating about change. So change is a whole total different topic on its own when we are talking about substance use disorder. So as families, as loved ones, as friends, where do you start uh, if you recognize that someone has a problem? What should you do ideally? I always recommend that first point is to actually communicate with this particular loved one. Obviously, please, not when they're intoxicated or high. I also say, please keep like a journal, you know, uh, an observation of their behavior so that when you speak, you're speaking from a point of reference to say, you know, in the past week or in the past month, this is what we've actually started to notice. We do understand there are people who are still able to say to you, you know what, I still need my responsibility, so what is the problem? But the behavior at times, you will often notice and see it as family. And then I also say that as Africans, we really need to educate ourselves about substance use disorder. Our website is available and also working alongside with our relevant governmental partners who actually are promoting the prevention and awareness of substance use disorder to educate ourselves what does it really mean and me as a, as a family member assisting a loved one, where do I start? So start by communicating, educate your first about what actually is substance use disorder and the ways that you can go about it. Also recommend to that loved one to start engaging into what we call narcotic anonymous or alcohol anonymous, whereby they can be able to also understand the journey if you are going to start to do recovery. There are other NA or AA that actually sometimes are opening for family members to join in when it's an open meeting in order for family members to also understand that what actually happens or goes through the process of recovery. So that's where you need to start. Visit our website at sankanational.info so that you can be able to also understand and educate yourself. At times, there's also like a survey that we sometimes run for people to really just check in in terms of their status of use, where they are at. 
Well, we'll leave it there for today, but thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Uh, Temegile Msane is uh, the national spokesperson for SANCA, the South African National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence. Now, we're joined now on the line by director and co-founder of the Network of People Who Use Drugs, uh, Sean Kelly. Sean, thanks for your time and welcome to Updated Noon. Thanks for having me on the program. Please tell us first off about your organization and the approach that you take in addressing the drug abuse problem that we have in this country. So firstly, I'd like to say that Tim Bikili spoke a lot of sense there. I agree with almost everything that was said in that discussion. There's some minor points of diversion, but they're not that important in the bigger picture of things. Um, Sanford is an organization that uh, I founded to become representative of the voice of very marginalized people many of whom who use drugs in South Africa, uh, to bring their voice into policymaking uh, spaces, such as in the development of the National Drug Master Plan, um, in collaboration with the uh, National Department of Social Development and other organizations like that. And uh, we, we seek to um, try and change the drug policy landscape, which is essentially inherited from pre-94 and often perpetuates the problems that uh, result from drugs. So and, and causes a lot of the problems that are associated with drugs as well. Uh, so we um, are, are responsible for organizing a lot of discussions and, and um, meetings with government and that, but also establishing networks of people who use drugs in communities, some of whom uh, are intending to stop using drugs, some of whom might not be ready to stop using drugs. We support them all the same. Um, and we try and advocate for the, for the circumstances that encourage people to resolve their drug use issues and become integrated members of society and their communities. Because we know, as Tim McKee was saying earlier, that psychosocial dislocation, that, that lack of hope of the future, the lack of narrative history, the lack of belonging, are all things that are strongly related to the development of substance use disorders or addiction, as some people will call it. Um, and although a lot of people might experiment with drugs, it's, it's a minority that will become addicted, but it's an increasing minority when you've got issues such as um, the psychosocial dislocation, the lack of hope, lack of economic empowerment, that kind of thing. Mm. Now, Sean, as you say, it's it's an increasing minority, but it's a minority whom are able to wreak quite a bit of havoc, uh, not just uh, to themselves, their families, but also to society at large. I mean, if you go to uh, certain townships where there is a particularly big problem, uh, you drive around and you see these young people congregating in groups, um, uh, sometimes very big groups, and it, it is a very sad sight to have to behold that. Yes, uh, I've worked on the ground in, in many places. So Lavender Hill, for example, which was uh, very, um, it's a very forensic population. Most people have been to jail recently. Most are gang affiliated. I've worked in Tswani uh, in central Pretoria, uh, where we had 3,600 people in our program at one stage. Um, and, and the University of Pretoria has got, uh, I believe, around about the same number, if not more, in the in the TOSA um, program, where uh, which I helped develop with them. Um, and and it is sad to see it. But there's also a lot of scapegoating that happens around people who use drugs. So, for example, if we look at um, heroin users, Niope users, because Niope is heroin, we mustn't forget that, um, that uh, Niope users really need to, to use on a regular basis. And I'm not saying there's no correlation with opportunistic crime, but certainly 
this is not your organized crime or your large-scale crime because most of them are recycling, most of them are washing cars or taxis and that because they need to earn that 30 rand multiple times a day. They will take advantage sometimes, some of them. One of our messages very, is very strong is that just because you use drugs is not an excuse to to commit crime or to, or to do things that, that uh, are not acceptable. But there's also a strong uh, correlation between the lived experience of people who end up using drugs and people independently of that who commit crime. And we also must remember that most people with um, antisocial tendencies uh, will commit crime and will use drugs as well. Uh, whereas the other way around is not necessarily true that all people who use drugs are sociopathic um, or, or antisocial, should I say. So we've got to be careful in, in teasing this out. It's not always just a drug issue. You know, the drugs, uh, alcohol is probably the one that, that changes people the most. It, it, it sort of lowers the inhibitions the most. But uh, we also see a lot of people who use drugs have been very abused in their lives. Um, they've often suffered tremendously and are, are suffering again because the presumption is is they're the cause of all society's problems, whereas in fact it's more of a symptom of society's problems. Um, and, and we can see this anywhere in the world. Um, what the, the prohibitionist drug policies that we see actually create criminals and they actually stand in the way of a lot of people getting better and resolving the drug use issue and becoming economically empowered in our communities. Mm. And we haven't really critically looked at those since 94 and they were developed by the original government, uh, you know, the early government in South Africa in the 1920s were one of the first nations in the world to ban cannabis, and they asked the League of Nations to ban it, specifically to stop the trade between um, black, brown, and white people. And then the Americans obviously had a very racialized war on drugs, which we haven't critically examined. And, and we see a lot of these very um, uh, kind of strong policing tactics taken over into, into the drug field which actually doesn't help anybody. This is really a, a complex social health, well-being kind of problem that we need to resolve. And each time we chuck somebody into prison just for possession or something, we're creating another opportunity for gangs to recruit them and another life who hasn't got an economic opportunity. And that's what we try and address within Stanford. We try and create economic opportunity for people um, in the communities and take their voices into the right places. Sean, we have to go to news, but I just have to ask you, so if you had to start today, um, you know, you talk about policies, where would you start in trying to address this problem? First of all, we have to look at decriminalization and a reallocation of the resources that are used on policing um, into public well-being and community well-being and providing support services for people in communities uh, so that communities can become more integrated and people can have more hope and meaning and, and hope of economic opportunity in the future as well. Sean, we have to leave it there. But thank you so much for your input to our discussion this afternoon. And that was uh, Sean Kelly. And he's the co-founder of the Network of People Who Use Drugs, uh, Sanford. Update at noon, midday to 1 p.m.